The Hollywood writer's strike is over, and we're looking into the implications for sports networks and agencies. Plus, we have legendary sports broadcaster Ray Hudson on later in the show. It's Tuesday, September 26th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. A tentative deal has been reached to end the Hollywood writer's strike. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. Great to have you here. So sports programming obviously is unscripted, but the sports world is feeling the impact of the writer's strike and now the end of the writer's strike. So explain how that all works, please. So basically all of your major networks where we all watch sports, they're all held by large, uh, publicly traded, for the most part, uh, media companies that have significant operations in both camps, both the scripted uh, entertainment and live action sports. So these are companies like Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount, the NBC parent Comcast, Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix. You go down the list um, to varying degrees, they all have pretty extensive operations in both camps. And that scripted entertainment portion of their businesses was being significantly impacted. We, you know, we were going on five months here with the uh, writer's strike, the actors closely followed actors are still not done. So we're not all the way back yet here. We still got to get obviously the ratification of the writer's deal. And even when that's done, things like talk shows and so forth can come back, but the scripted shows that help pay a lot of the bills as well. That's still working its way back. We've already had a situation where Warner Brothers Discovery, the parent company of uh, TBS and TNT, and they've got a bunch of rights, baseball, basketball, hockey, and so forth. They've already said that these Hollywood strikes were going to uh, create an estimated $300 million to $500 million hit on their annual adjusted uh, profit. And so... Uh, there's been some very real impacts because this programming has not been shown. Uh, that money is not, that's connected to it has not been coming in. Uh, but this deal is good news because now all of these companies and those of us who enjoy this programming, uh, you know, we're taking a step back, getting uh, a big step back to getting to where we once were. And do we have any feel for what this means? You know, I, I just I remember in the 90s, there was a, a similar a, a strike. I don't remember if it was the writers, the actors, or everyone. Uh, but that was one of the things that kind of propelled reality TV into the mainstream. I'm wondering if there's going to be, I mean, it's probably too soon to tell, but any similar impacts on the sports world as, you know, sports media rights are, we're already growing so much in prominence. I wonder if this added any gasoline to that. Yeah, I think already we're seeing a lot of these networks that were already leaning hard into uh, live sports to sort of not only help fill the programming schedules, but keep those eyeballs coming. And you think of things like some of the uh, additional showcasing that Monday Night Football was getting on ABC and what's been done and around some of these wrestling deals and so forth. And obviously that's scripted, but in terms of the overall sort of sports and sports related content, um, you get my point that you know, that this is where a lot of these companies and these networks were leaning into uh, because that's what they needed. Yeah. And similar to, you know, the exact same deal with some of these media companies, a lot of agencies, I, I believe, are now uh, breathing yes. a sigh of relief here. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, a number of these agencies, your CAAs and so forth, uh, you know, they had also pretty significant uh, uh, extensions into both 
uh, camps, both the Hollywood camp and the live sports camp. And, you, and CAA in particular, uh, the company was just bought, uh, French billionaire uh, Francois Henri Pinot. Uh, he has come in with a $7 billion deal, but bought the uh, agency at a time when it really wasn't operating at full tilt uh, because that Hollywood piece of the business, those deals were not getting made. And all of the things they do in terms of development deals and writer deals and actor deals and so forth, that they have a, a, a role in helping put together, that that activity wasn't happening. And now that can start to begin to happen again, and particularly even more so if and when the actor strike gets done. And so that's a purchase that can really start to, you know, take its full flight. And it's not just that agency. You go down the list of any of the others and your IMGs and WMEs and so forth. Really, the same thing applies. Octagon, same thing. Yeah. And the yeah, obviously, the actor strike is ongoing. Any dominoes that we should be watching for as the next one to fall? Yeah, I just really kind of keep a lookout on what the uh, corporate earnings are going to be. We're, you know, closing in on the as we're taping this uh, coming into the last week of the third quarter. So that means in another three to four weeks, we're going to start to see the quarterly earnings reports for all the companies that I mentioned before and plenty of others. And it'll be very interesting to see what all of these companies have to say in terms of what the impact of this action is and was. And, and maybe by the time those reports come out, or even by the end of the quarter, this fiscal quarter, the actors will get done. We'll, we'll have to see if that happens. But, um, you know, that late October and early November period, when all these quarterly earning reports come out, that's going to be a really important sign as to really understanding what the financial impact uh, of this whole situation has been. All right. Eric Fisher, insightful as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. In June, we got the bombshell announcement that the PGA Tour had reached a major deal with Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, which is the backer of Live Golf, essentially creating a merger between the two rival golf tours. But the deal is not complete, and for now, the PGA Tour and Live Golf are still acting like competitors. We already have the PGA Tour schedule for FedEx Cup events in 2024, and from the reports around Live Golf's schedule, they'll be going up against each other multiple times. In fact, according to Sports Illustrated, one of the notable shifts from Liv's 2023 approach is its willingness to go up against signature PGA Tour events, including Pebble Beach and the Memorial Tournament hosted by Jack Nicklaus. The strategy may be part of a broader push to get in on the hype when there's hype to get in on. Liv is also likely to have a tournament in Las Vegas on the weekend of February 11th, the same time and place as the next Super Bowl. At Sunday's game between the Arizona Cardinals and Dallas Cowboys, one of the greatest athletes of my lifetime was on the field. I'm not talking about any of the players on either of those teams, they're good too, but not yet in the class of Ken Griffey Jr., who is also on the field as a credentialed photographer. The kid, now 53, is a sports photographer, and this wasn't a one-time novelty thing. Griffey has been spotted in the photographer's booth with the long telephoto lens at Inter-Miami games, snapping shots of Lionel Messi. He's done Monday Night Football, the Home Run Derby, IndyCar, the Fiesta Bowl. And the crazy thing is, if we're going by wins above replacement, he's not even the best Seattle Mariner to have taken up sports photography. Randy Johnson, who studied photojournalism at USC in the 80s, has also been a credentialed NFL photographer. The big unit also takes wildlife photography and for a stint was the official photographer of the rock band Rush. The logo for Johnson's photography studio is a dead bird, a reference to the bizarre moment when he accidentally killed a bird with a pitch, which you can watch on video, but no one was quick enough to get a good photo. 
Up next, my colleague Doug Greenberg spoke to legendary soccer broadcaster Ray Hudson. If you watch Lionel Messi highlights and the broadcast is in English, there's a good chance you are listening to Hudson. They talked about Messi and much more, and that conversation is coming up next. Joining us now is a legendary soccer color commentator who has been calling Lionel Messi's matches for much of his career. Uh, he will be calling the U.S. Open Cup final between Houston Dynamo and Messi's Inner Miami for CBS Sports. Welcome to the show, Ray Hudson. How are you doing? Wonderful, Doug. Beautiful day here in the Venice of America in Fort Lauderdale. Um, beautiful weather, beautiful day. Messi's living in my backyard. It can't get much better than that. Yeah, well... You know, I guess I can start there then. Uh, you have been calling Messi for a very long time. Uh, when, what exactly did you first start calling him? And what, when you first started, uh, immediately stood out to you about him? His debut game um, for Goal TV, did it with Phil Shane, um, called it when Lionel came in on the substitute um, with Ronaldinho. And it was a memorable game. And, uh, of course, that was the announcement to the world. Um, the jungle drums had been beating about uh, this kid called Messi, uh, who was, you know, a long-haired, floppy-haired little uh, runt uh, that come off uh, the, the bench and um, lit the place up. Um, you know, history shows that he was not just a little long-haired little pulga, the ant, uh, he was a halo of a football player. And the greatest thing was that over the decades that he continued after that introduction that shook up the world, and Ronaldinho said, he's going to be better than me, this player. Are you kidding me? There was nobody better than Ronaldinho. Um, at that time, he was the most um, beautiful paper uh, of a footballer. And for him to say, and when uh, he jumped on Lionel's back, uh, it was it was amazing. And it went on. And the consistency, uh, consistent as a northern star and twice as radioactive. He was so continual over the decades. And that, I think, is his greatest, greatest ever achievement. The consistency of his genius. Again, Doug, the word genius as a footballer, undervalues him. That's how astonishing he is and how he was. And we're seeing the last of the summer wine. And it still tastes pretty good for everybody here in the United States to take the sips. Yeah. He, I mean, he's he's a truly special player. And you've witnessed so many of his special moments and have called so many of his special moments. What's your favorite memory related to, to Messi? Um, the the, the favourite one for me, personally, was the goal that he scored um, against Manchester United, the header, believe it or not. Um, I, I covered other games where he took the, the oxygen the brain, the, out of your lungs uh, with his staggering dribbling skill. Uh, the goals against uh, Athletic Club, uh, of course, are the ones everybody remembers. The best one for me on his dribble was the one he had at the old San Mames at the top of the box where he had three players inside a telephone box and he didn't care. He still had, to, after he emasculated those players, he still had to find the bottom corner of the net against an outstanding goalkeeper who was playing brilliant that day. Uh, he, 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 he triggered it into the bottom corner. Well, 
I ended up in Holy Cross Hospital in an oxygen tent after that game because it was so dramatic. <laughs> and I remember poor Phil Shane had to tolerate uh, all of my uh, antics and uh, exuberance and explosive verbals uh, after situations like that but that that goal along with his header against man united in the in the champions league those are the two that still give me goosebumps the size of coconuts you know i, I it's crazy to me that in, even in this podcast interview right now you are pulling out these incredible metaphors that you've become very famous for do you come up with them in real time while you're calling matches do you think of any beforehand what, what's what's sure. the deal here the, 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 there's, there's things that you keep in your mind for moments like that, but it's like having this incredible mental lexicon and there's so many of these analogies that you can pick and it's picking them at the right place at the right time. But it, it, it's all you know off of the cuff uh, from situations that you've absorbed um, it, through all different things, through, through reading Shakespeare, through reading Charles Dickens, through watching... Star Trek or Star Wars or, you know, the treasure of Sierra Madre, all different things that, you know, you, you'll, you'll be talking to the, um, the, the, the lawn guy, the guy who cuts your, your lawn, uh, and you'll have a chat with him and he'll come out with something and you'll go, wow. That's that's one for the memory bank. And that's what you did. But it all goes back to my my father and my English teacher, Sally Herdman, um, who were very influential with me with the the, the gift of, of, of the gab, the, the language. Um, my father was a very insular man. But the way he would read Charles Dickens to me and the way Sally Herdman would project her love of the English language and the great lesson that I learned in one of her, she, I had written this sentence and she read it out to the class and she and everybody was laughing. It was ridiculous. It was stupid. I can't remember. It was something about Woodstock or something like that. And she said, Ray, Ray, my, my ray of light. She says, this is an example, children, that you can't hurt the English language. You can stretch it. It won't break. So let's develop this wonderful uh, rainbow of words. And she was, she was just like me. I mean, that's probably where I got so much of that early influence. Um, but, you know, that stays with you. And like I say, my father, uh, especially uh, reading Charles Dickens, anybody that reads Dickens knows what, what I'm talking about and the, the descriptives and the details and the forensic nature of identifying something human. It was always human. And this is why I tried to relate it with Messi, that it's not statistics. That's the last thing. I always hold Arsene Wenger, who I loved Arsene Wenger, for a genius of a man uh, and a coach and a wonderful uh, motivator in every way. But when he came out and said Messi's like a, a PlayStation player, he couldn't have been more wrong because Messi projects the art of human. This isn't the digital. This is a biological. And it will never be replaced. Artificial intelligence? Are you kidding me? They'll never, ever replicate a, a mutant 
talent like Messi, who is alien, uh, but who will never, ever be replaced or imitated. Um, and it's been the pleasure and joy and challenge of my life, Doug, to, to, to frame his football in a way that serves his memory well. I'm so supremely proud to be in the Camp Nou Museum in Barcelona with some of my commentaries uh, of Lionel and his and his teammates. They've used that as uh, you know a, a wonderful canvas to try to verbally extend what we are seeing in front of us that defies, bewitches, and beguiles us. In a level that no one has ever done. I mean, my love of my life was Pelé when I was 10 year old. Fell in love with him, wore my sister's yellow chiffon blouse in the park just to be like a Brazilian. And my best friend, who's a black lad, Mickey Wilson, uh, used to always laugh at me. And I used to tell Mickey, man, I wish I just had that as well in the same as Pelé. I just wish it was, I idolised Pelé and Maradona afterwards. But then Messi eclipses both of them for me, Doug, in his achievements as an individual, as a player, and his, his contribution to his team with the trophies. It's endless, and he keeps on bewitching us here in South Florida. In my backyard, I'm a, I'm a mile and a half away from Drive Pink Stadium. Now, how surreal is that? That he lands in my neighborhood, he shops at my grocery market. It, it's, it, it's surreal, and I, I still can't believe it. We're, we're very blessed to have watched what he has done and specifically in the last year or two you know winning the world cup obviously was the you know ended up being the last thing he really really needed and now he's come to miami as you're as you're saying straight into your backyard you know you're very familiar with the area um having played and coached there um you know how how big has his presence in south florida truly been it's seismic seismic i mean you talk about the big bang um you know pelly was the first big bang in this country when he arrived in 77, uh, 76. And um, I had the honor and privilege of playing against the great Pelé. I got his shirt. He gave me his shirt after a game. He picked me up. He gave, I got the cramps one time and he was helping. I've still got the photograph and I'll probably be buried with. Um, but Messi eclipses even that. Um, and the impact that he's had as I say, just been seismic. You know, there's there's so many people that we've got to be grateful for. The great Pelé, uh, David Beckham's arrival was it was completely transmo- trans transformative. Um, so what he did on on that level was great. But on the football level, that Messi has just absolutely astonished everybody with his impact, this indelible bang that he's put on this league. Um, and everybody is watching around the world. You know, people in Australia, in India, and in China, and Russia, and every flipping way. Messi's playing in Fort Lauderdale in Miami for, for, for this team that's bottom. And now they've been resurgent. And now we've got the opportunity, hopefully, to watch him win his second trophy for Inter Miami within, you know, two months. Oh, it, it just it, it, again, he defies logic. 
both on the field and off the field. He keeps it's like a bodily function for Messi. You know, it's just that's what it is. He just wins games and he he carries teams along with him, Doug. You know, what he did with Argentina, not in this World Cup, the other World Cup where he got them to the final against Germany with that team, with bloody Gonzalo Higuain missing the target where... It, it, it should have been that should have been Lionel's World Cup because they were a better team than Germany. But then you look at the players that Lionel had to play with in that team. Look at it again, people, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They had two brilliant opportunities to put it away. Palacios, I think it was, and and in Gonzalo uh, missed missed the targets. Germany wins it. Okay, so we'll do it again against Mbappe and against France. And against in that World Cup final, the most memorable Cup final of all time. And um, it was astonishing how he transformed that team. And then after being the best player in the World Cup, um, you know, the, the best player in the, in the final, he comes here. He comes to into Miami. I mean, he, he, he cannot... <laughs> It is beyond belief. He could have played for any team in the Champions League right now and he'd be their best player. Maybe, maybe with one or two concerns with Manchester City and Haaland and, uh, you know, the, the, the brilliant, uh, even some of the, the star players in some of the... But nobody eclipses Messi. He would have added to every team and he comes along with Tata Martino and we all thank the Mass Brothers uh, for actually bringing him here. And, um, you know, we hope to see that star shining against Benny Olsen's uh, Houston Dynamo here at Drive Pink Stadium. Uh, he's up against the race against time to get there now, uh, it seems, from that injury. But uh, we're all, everybody, uh, Doug, not just the Inter Miami fans, but everybody has got the fingers and the toes crossed uh, that Lionel is going to be fit enough to play in the game. Yeah, we're we're certainly hoping that he can play because bringing that hardware, it's it's. I mean, I think it just excites soccer in this country a little bit more. It's, it excites soccer around the world. Uh, any final thoughts going into this uh, U.S. Open Cup final? Yeah, you know. Here's the irony of it. It'll be a more interesting game if Messi doesn't play. So you're going to tune in to watch it anyhow. You know, his his rising tide has lifted all ships. He's got a wonderful coach with Tata Martino. He's got the brilliant Busquets. He used to call him the inevitable Busquets because the ball always finds him. The inevitable Busquets. And, and Jordi Alba, you know, a wonderful they're like three dolphins that keep chattering to each other. And nobody knows what language they're speaking, but it's bloody beautiful when the heads come up out of that football. And it, it, it produces that sort of smile from their football. But Lionel is the, is the complete center of, 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 of everything around the world of, in the Miami. So we just hope that he's going to be fit. But Benny Olsen's got some good footballers as well. Uh, I love the number eight. Uh, I think he'll be fit. Um, the, you know, they've got some other 
players around and Benny's a great coach. He's got them sitting very well and playing some bloody good football. Um, defensively, like into Miami, they've been a little, you know, less refined. Um, so both teams have got Achilles heels that can both be exposed. Um, but if Lionel's there, when Messi's in a game, it's like bringing a machine gun to a knife fight. Everybody knows it. I'm not being biased. People, you know it. Everybody knows it. And uh, we hope that that promise of magic uh, is going to be on um, CBS and Paramount Plus um, on, on Wednesday night at half past eight. Uh, we just, everybody's just hoping and praying that uh, Messi can decorate our footballing uh, televisions yet again. Yeah, let, let's hope so. I'll be watching for sure. Uh, Ray Hudson, this has been a great conversation. It, it was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Doug. That is it for today. Subscribe to Front Office Sports Today on your podcast app. If you have questions or comments about the show, send us an email at today at frontofficesports.com or find me on Twitter. I'm at Owen Poindexter. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.